Oh, I like that. You know, I like I I like you would think that a burqa would be very you know tight, not so tight, but just conforming and scary, kind of like too much. But I can really get into that idea of the world can't see you. It's like, you know, so you are a little bit more comfortable. Exactly. And so how also do we the, create that? How do we have our own little birth? Well, the first thing you can do is, is really begin to think of that kind of mental image of a sanctuary. And just like you said, you've got a painting, and clearly it's, it's ocean and um, a lake and water and palm trees. It's everything that makes you – you probably look at it and you can smell the ocean breeze and feel the – the palm tree sort of waving there, and it must it, it must call up an image to you of of calm or tranquility or whatever you're feeling that you need. Well, you just said the right words, Libby, because it when I look at this painting, and it's one that I designed from. I took photographs of all the different things I love, and as I traveled, certain clouds, lakes, and then I put them all together in an image, and then had a painter paint it. I, all my senses are enwrapped there. I mm-hmm. smell the ocean. I hear the palm trees waving. You know, I can feel the texture of the sand. I mean, it, so I really, I can get into the moment just by looking at it like a snap of my finger. Mm-hmm. And that's a great way to do it. I think anybody could do that. Even if they didn't use an artist to paint it, they could collage it. All of their favorite places, all of their favorite calming techniques. But for, even even without having that visual image in your home, though, you can you can pull up that sense of of a favorite spot. It might be your vacation spot. One reader who who read something that I'd written in my column about it said, "Oh, that's my grandmother's cabin. That's where I remember feeling good, and it was a sense of family and the outdoors, and it was always fun, and it was something she looked forward to." In my head, I always envision a beach house, and it's you know I've got two boys, so. Calm and quiet does not always go with the territory. So in my in my head, I envision this this beach house with all white furniture, and it's up on the bluffs, and all I hear is the ocean breeze and the waves, mm-hmm. and it's just stillness and silence. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the first step is to begin to really picture that healing sanctuary, whatever that means to you. Whether it's some place you've been and you remember as a fond memory, if it's some place you imagine, like my beach house, which is imaginary, or if it's something you've created, like your image of all your favorite vacation spots. Well, so success step number one is to envision a healing sanctuary, find that spot. And I really like your idea of creating a collage because I have to say, long before I had the the uh, painting created, I had created a collage by taking photographs of mm-hmm. things I like, and then I made a collage that looked like the painting that I have today. Sure, and and anybody can do that. You just use all those favorite snapshots that are stuck away in a drawer or a scrapbook somewhere. Or even cut things out of a magazine. Uh, absolutely. That like. So that's a super idea to envision your healing sanctuary. And I could see having that at your office or on your computer or mm-hmm. on your behind your desk. Or, you know, as all of us moms, when we get frazzled, it's like, oh, if I could just take it out of my pocketbook and look at it for a couple of minutes, that would be important. So a sanctuary. Everyone can have a sanctuary, whether it's a real place or not. So it's a sanctuary in our head, a sanctuary of sanity. And then what you need to do is is decide what sort of feeling that invokes in you so that you really know what it is you're you're lacking or what you're in need of. And for you, you said it gives you calm. So clearly when life is overwhelming or stressful, you need that sense of calm. For some people, it could be just the opposite, that maybe life is a little dull and you need something exciting or something that has a, 
has a feeling of, of adventure attached to it. It might be a picture of somebody, you know, jumping out of an airplane. It could be completely the opposite. But picture that sanctuary and what the feeling is that it invokes. And I'll give you a good example of one of my, my coaching clients is a sales executive and he works for a big international firm. So he's always on the go and he's on long trips. He's traveling all over and always has a lot of deadlines and presentations and it's a very high stress kind of high stakes world. And so we talked about creating that sanctuary and I asked him to envision a time when he really felt good about his surroundings. He felt like he was in some sort of protected cocoon. And he told me that was when he was in college, and he had his little dorm room with a single bed, and he would sit on that single bed and play his guitar. And he said that was such a feeling of of calming and, and connecting to that, that musical spirit, that kind of energy, that for him it was almost a, a spiritual sense. And so I suggested that he just begin to do that, begin to picture that as his sanctuary. And he began on airplanes or even, you know, taking the elevator up to get to some meeting where he had a big presentation. He began to really envision that little dorm room. And he said after a while, his fingers started playing the chords. And he could hear that, you know, it was probably a rock and roll song blasting. But to him, it brought him a real sense of calm and peace. And he would do that on an airplane or before a meeting so that he could walk into the room feeling centered and powerful and in control. That is such a great example because, as you said, with so many of us feel that calm is doing, you know, sitting on a beach or being in a cabin. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he was actually going back to his youth, Mm -hmm. so that means we can, it doesn't matter what point in our life or even if we've ever really experienced, we can can even use other people's experiences. So success step number two, Libby, imagine the feelings your sanctuary can invoke for you, whether it's calm or you need a power surge or you want energy, you want strength, you want adventure, whatever it is, you can imagine it. And imagine that place where you can connect with that feeling. But it doesn't have to stop at being just that mental sanctuary. You can find a way to bring it into your home, like you did instinctively with that with your picture. You brought that into your home so that you could sense that that feeling of, of remembering those great vacations and all the places that brought you calm. And what my fellow did after he decided he really liked that feeling of connecting with that old spirit when he was and I'm sure it was a feeling of youthfulness. He was young, he was free, he was playing his music and it also took him to a and he different was a stud, place. probably. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it took him outside of his day to day world, out of that pressure that he was in all the time and, and he was able to connect with something else which was music. So what he decided to do, he lives back east where they have basements, you know, we don't have too much of those out here in the west. But he finished a big piece of, a, of his basement and turned it into a music room and actually got out his old guitar and went and bought a new one that he'd been coveting and really began. He didn't turn it into a dorm room exactly, but he began to play music and saw that as a real sanctuary in his home. That is the you know, because I was going to ask you, Libby, what happened to him? Because if he was actually starting to play the chords and play air guitar, he needed to go and do it for real, and he did. He did. So he, that... That sounds like that's another step. That's the next step. It's real. Absolutely. Bring it into your home. Find that place. It, first you've got the, the mental sanctuary in, in your mind's eye. Now you know what 
kind of feeling you're trying to invoke, whether it's like, as you said, that energy surge, that sense of power, or just the opposite, that calm and serenity. That's what I'm looking for. I have enough energy in my life. I'll take the calm and the tranquility. I'm with you, and yeah. especially you with your boys and being so busy with all their activities right now. Yeah, so, so you, you really need, and for me, and also for a lot of working people, and certainly for working parents, you want to find that, that calmness or that, that sort of me place. So look around your home or your office. Find a room or a corner, even a, just a chair, you know, just one little area where you feel like you can create your sanctuary and link it to something from your vision. For my client, it was, you know, it was his guitars. He also trotted out his old turntable and his record albums, so he had a real music room from his youth. Wow, that is so fun. So, I mean, he just went totally retro, and he can now he can start a new band. Exactly, I know. That wouldn't surprise me at all. A basement band. Boy, that's bringing it back. I love that. Right. Now, so for me, it meant a big Mary? overstuffed chair and putting flowers and pillows and everything around it and a big comfy uh, a comforter, a big blanket that I can snuggle up in. That just feels like that and a book and a cup of tea, and I'm that is my sanctuary. So you have your sanctuary already. So I it doesn't do. have to be on the beach. You have it right there. You've created it. Right. And and everybody can do that if it's bring something that really links you to that that image or that place. If it's a candle, if it's an old photograph of family members or a cherished book from your childhood, anything that makes you think of that kind of feeling. And then what you need to do is when you find and create that sanctuary, when you need it, when you know you need that sense of calm, you want uh, that sense of energy, the, the soul searching. Anytime you just want to escape from the the harshness or just the reality of the world, if you're home and you can go right into that sanctuary or in your office, you can just settle into it even if you take five minutes with your eyes closed. And if you're, if you're at work or you're on an airplane or you're driving wherever you are, you can just image that, that idea of your healing sanctuary and bring those feelings into your, into your being. And, and, you know, there are all sorts of studies that tell you about how our, our mind has such power over our body in terms of of lowering our blood pressure, slowing down our heart rate, boosting our immune system, all these things that we can create in our own bodies just through that image in our mind. You know, that, Libby, when you're talking about that, like when you're traveling, etc., one of the things that I have found that helps me bring my sanctuary with me, when obviously I'm not bringing the beach, but it's in my head, is just having a, a token or an icon that can immediately bring me back into that space of the, you know, mm-hmm. just being. And for, I travel, I have a little seashell. A seashell? Just a seashell. And it's not even a special seashell, so if I lose it, it's not any big deal. Mm-hmm. But if I, just by holding it and looking at it, I immediately can shut my eyes and I'm on the beach. Well, because it, it means, to, it's a reminder, it's a visual reminder, calm down. Exactly. Like having that sign that says, calm down. And, you know, I can fly, and, and we both travel a lot, but I can fly LAX to JFK without a book, without a magazine. I can close my eyes and meditate the whole five-hour trip. People are amazed when I say that. But, but doesn't it feel so good? And you arrive and you're more refreshed, mm-hmm. aren't you? Yep. I don't do it often because I'm usually either reading or writing, but I have done it from time to time, and it's a real pleasure just to go into that sort of inner world. Well, that is what we what we call creating your Shangri-La. So let's recap the success steps for uh, creating this very healing, calm sanctuary. The first one is to envision your healing sanctuary, to create it in your mind. Just picture it and 
and picture the surroundings, the details of it. And even if you don't consider yourself a visual person, don't worry about it. You don't have to reach for that vision. It will come to you. Well, also, there's no right or wrong, and there's nobody testing you. So just go ahead and do whatever you can. Absolutely. And the second success step would be to imagine the feeling that your sanctuary can invoke to you, whether it's going to be energy or strength or calm or adventure or power, whatever it is that you need, feel it. Right, and be, be aware of, of what's missing or what's lacking or what you want more of, whether it's power or serenity. And that can also include then the smells, too, like you were saying, a candle or flowers or introducing something from the senses. Absolutely, and I agree with you completely to touch all of your senses. Okay, and then the third one is bring your sanctuary to life in your home, your office, your car, or wherever you're traveling. So make it real. Right, just find a way to bring it to life for you. So whether you're you're there physically and you can experience it or you can just experience it in your head and your vision, either way you are covered. Sounds good to me. Well, I'm really into it. When I walk down my stairs in the morning, the first thing I see is this this creation of my sanctuary so i start my day in a good meditative state and i encourage it for all of you well speaking of that shall we do our accountability check-in absolutely okay so how was your week did you uh did you exercise walk more what was new i did i did all of that and i signed up for my pilates class this weekend so i'll be doing that and i'm lifting weights on saturday so i'm in good shape but i added something that was fun, and I know you did some of this this week, too. I have a dear friend who I rarely get to see. We're both single working moms, so putting our schedules together is just crazy. And I said, you know, when we couldn't find a date to get together, I said, how 7.30 a.m. on Wednesday? And she said, well, it's a little early, but why? And she lives closer to the beach than I do. She's a block from the beach. I said, I'll meet you at your house, and we're going for a walk. So we started with our cup of tea and a walk, an hour walk on the beach, and we took a nice, brisk walk and had a great conversation. And it hit both both the fun and the fitness, so it was just heaven. See, I love that, and I would really encourage other people to do that, You know, because it's fun. Like you just said, it's heaven. When you do something fun, you're going to stick with it. Well, I this week, too, took a little bit of a different route. I did continue doing my 25 to 45 minutes or 40 minutes of exercise, you know, in the gym, but this week I did a few things differently. On both Saturday and Sunday I decided no gym. Instead I went on a wonderful hike in the hills where all the wildflowers are blooming and it's so green and the cows are mooing, and I love that. And then I did some really, you know, heavy-duty gardening for about three or four hours. And then at the end of the day I rewarded myself with a glass of wine while I watched the sunset, and I felt great about this. That sounds like a perfect afternoon. It was a, It was so perfect, Libby, that I actually decided, okay, I'm going to continue doing this kind of the rest of the week. In that three evenings this week, I watched sunset and I stayed outside in nature, just meditating, as we were talking about earlier, until dark, because I'm preparing my book, B, and I really wanted to get into that mood of just being and sitting with myself, and that was such a help. And then I did reward myself with the massage this week, because I've been lifting a lot of books for the charity. So all in all, I didn't make as much money, 
but I really feel great, and next week I'll attract, uh, you know, the, some more dollars in, and I'm going to continue on this kind of thing. So I think it was a, it was a great week. That sounds great. I'd love to hear from our, our listeners. If they, if they email us at asklibby at libbygill.com, tell us what you did this week that was special just for you. Make sure to do that. Go to LibbyGill.com, or you can email AskLibby at LibbyGill.com. And don't forget, for expert advice and for life coaching, Libby is the one. She's got all so much going on. And, again, her website, LibbyGill.com. For me, it's CynthiaBryan.com. We love being your success sisters, and we love being in the coaching corner. So if you have any ideas, send them to AskLibby at LibbyGill.com. Another great segment, Libby. Well, thank you. It's been great being your success sister. I love it. You've been listening to Cynthia Bryan. And Libby Gill. And we are your success sisters right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. We'll be back in a minute. Stay with us. This business of show business is calling out to me. A guide to sharing the ideas of the sages from the ages with minds of our times coming right up with Marietta McCarty and her book, Little Big Minds, right here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with your personal growth expert, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are, you are the I'm Mary Hart, and this is Empowering America. She was born in Newark, New Jersey in 1924. She was blessed with a beautiful voice, and by 19, young Sarah had entered and won an amateur hour contest at Harlem's famous Apollo Theater. A year later, singer Billy Eckstein invited her to join his new group, featuring the legendary Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, and Miles Davis. Sarah, now nicknamed Sassy, dazzled all with the amazing flexibility of her voice. At 20 years old, she cut her first record and was fast becoming a legend among her fellow musicians. She joined Mercury Records in 1954 and embarked on the most prolific years of her career. Over the next three decades, Sassy toured the world and cut more records, her last in 1987. Three years later, in 1990, Sarah Sassy Vaughn passed away, leaving a gaping hole in the world of music. Empowering America is sponsored by the Foundation of American Women in Radio and Television and is made possible by the generous support of AT&T, caring for the communities where we live and work. Listen, the world is talking. World Talk Radio. You are welcome back every week. Be the star you are showcases incredible authors and experts who can enhance and inspire your life. Be the star you are is a 501c3 charity dedicated to empowering women. 
families and youth at risk through improved literacy and positive message programming such as this radio show. So visit our website, BeTheStarYouAre.org, to get information and see how you can help. Contributions are always appreciated, BeTheStarYouAre.org. Oh, and speaking of contributions, BeTheStarYouAre has been working with an absolutely wonderful gentleman, Alex Chu of Donate Direct. Who is uh, Donate Direct is helping nonprofits to recover their technology costs and make more purchases. So, as you know, most nonprofits don't have sufficient funding to keep up with technology. I know that firsthand. And co- companies have always new, updated things. The funds from the Donate Direct program are really being put to good use. So, if you are working with a 501c3 charity or nonprofit, please go to their website and see if you uh, qualify for the vouchers. That website is www.donatedirect.net. That's D-O-N-A-T-E-D-I-R-E-C-T dot net. You will be happy that you did. Well, when the book Little Big Minds by Marietta McCarty arrived in my mailbox, my heart skipped a beat. I am a huge believer in the honest and intelligent brains of young children, and I was so delighted to encounter an educator who was introducing philosophy to children and at the same time guiding parents and teachers to do the same. In her book, Little Big Minds, from Plato to Sartre, from Lao Tzu to, to Camus, Children are learning to be curious, to ask questions, and to debate their unexamined life. Welcome, Marietta, to Be the Star You Are. Thank you so much, Cynthia. That was a marvelous description of the book. Oh, I'm telling you, this is a beautiful book. It's going to be a treasure and needs to be a treasure on everyone's bookshelf. The word philosophy means love of wisdom, and it's your goal, as I understand it, Marietta, to share this passion of learning the philosophy with children so that they can discover who they are and what their place in the world. I mean, kids are naturally curious, it seems to me. So how incredible to teach them philosophy. How are the children responding to all these, you know, these old sages? (laughs) Well, uh, I call philosophy for the children the art of clear thinking. And it really captures their imaginations that, good conversation and wonder and curiosity and tolerant dialogue is actually an art. It's something that you have to get good at, and it's a skill that that you can work on all of your life. And I've been taking philosophy to children for 15 years now, and I can tell you that one of probably the most magnificent result of a mind that has been encouraged to wonder and to be open and having adults who love a child listen to them is that it also opens their hearts. And so what I've seen in children is they're much more comfortable in their world, they're much more secure with this sanctuary of ideas to draw from, and I think that that it really gives them this sort of impartial sense of love to greater and lesser extents for the world that they're a part of, and they feel very much a part of the world. See, that I think is what makes it so exciting is that 
by you're listening to the kids and you're asking them questions. You're not telling them the way they're supposed to think. And in this way, by examining what people have thought throughout the ages, they're getting to come up with their own conclusions and feel very accepted and responsible for their actions. Yes, and that's that's what I find is so wonderful for them. It's not a matter of being right or wrong. And I tell them that philosophers are jugglers. And philosophical jugglers can keep a lot of different ideas in their mind at one time and explore them, and they don't have to decide that one is right or wrong. And they can keep this sense of wonder and curiosity and make changes in their lives and decide that maybe that idea that I thought three years ago, I was thinking that happiness was defined as this. Well, I'm not so sure that that's what really makes for a happy life. And so... Yes, I think that that what this gives children is a real sense of being able. I, they think their minds are just these incredible tools, and this incredible thing that they have when they realize that they can participate. That the parent, teacher, volunteer, whoever is using this book, they're learning along with them. That philosophy never stops. It's something you do all of your life. So yes, I have been completely heartened by my own personal experience and certainly by the response to this book. Well, you know, we say it, be the star you are, everyone counts. And when I read your book, I felt that's exactly what the philosophy of your book is, is that everybody counts, every voice counts. And once we can look at things as not right and wrong, but as individuals with great ideas, and it's important to share these ideas, that's what creates big minds, you know, and especially in little people, because you were demonstrating some of the questions um, that when you talk to children, is how they'll they'll feel like they're ruled by adults, or that their vote doesn't matter, or that they're really not right. heard. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing is you're giving them a voice, and you're letting them feel important, which I think is extremely important for self-esteem, self-direction, you know, and um, self-awareness. I agree, and it has always perplexed me that mainstream academic philosophy has pretty much ignored the issue of children and and what our philosophy of education is, what exactly are we doing in the educational process, and so... Yes, and and another thing that that I see is that what surprised many teachers and parents is that children who have not been excelling uh, necessarily in the classroom, who are not scoring the highest test scores, when, when everyone sits and listens, and I encourage quiet and just thinking, and I don't let them raise their hands right away, I say, let's just really think about this. Uh, what does it mean to be human is a very big question, so let's not everybody raise their hands. And when that happens, children who seldom, if ever, speak now have the courage to raise their hand and co- have absolutely the most incredible insights. And, and I don't mean, Cynthia, cute remarks. I mean sophisticated, serious philosophy and insights and put in simple language so that it can be understood. So it's because just a beautiful thing. They're sitting with the topic and they're being incur- they're being encouraged to express what's coming, what's bubbling to the surface as opposed to again getting back to the right or wrong. You don't make it a this is a test. This is something that you're exploring the ideas together. Right. And I say, you know, I've wondered about this all my life. What do you think about this? And someone will make a comment and I'll say 
what an interesting idea. And then someone will ask a question, and I'll say, great question. And at one point I had a child say, do you get paid just to say great question and I don't know? This is an incredible job that you got. And <laughs> That's so, a great question. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about the way you've outlined the book because it's so user-friendly. And, you know, you really, uh, you, you really talk about some of the most in, incredible philosophers of our time, but you make them available to the kids. So you've arranged the book in topics, like you have friendship, responsibility, courage, uh, time, different things that can easily be looked up, and then you'll you'll discuss that, and then you offer teaching tips, questions that a teacher or a parent could ask of a child, or games that could be played, or discussion topics. So it's not like you're just writing this book and then hanging us out to dry. You're giving us tools for which we can interact with the children. That's exactly right, because every place I went, I would find adults perched on desks and looking around the corners of classrooms and wanting to get involved in this sort of thing. And I think, um, unfortunately, philosophy has been thought to be something removed and abstract when really a good, rich conversation is philosophizing. And so what I've tried to do with the book is to take philosophy, make it completely accessible, and to give tips, the discussion questions, are there are so many in the book. And then what a lot of people are appreciating is that the exercises that involve service activities and art and music and poetry and literature, those are ones I'm suggesting, but... But well, because there are other mediums that really do need to be investigated, and we often don't get access to them. Exactly. And so to explore freedom through listening to uh, the Buena Vista Social Club uh, play their music uh, from Cuba is just an incredible um, imaginative exercise for the children. And so whoever is using the book can substitute a favorite piece of music or a poem that they've loved all their lives or a book and make it work for the child that that they're philosophizing with. Well, I was so impressed with your resources. The the amount of music, the amount of books, the different philosophers, the children's books, the adult books, the poetry, all different things that you know, like people like Emily Dickinson that I never really looked at as a philosopher. I looked her at her as a, a poet. Right. Gosh. When you do read these things, they pop to life and, it, and you discover new questions that you never thought about it. You know, or things that I've taken for granted are exposing new ideas to me, new forms of thinking. This is what your book has done for me. Well, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that. And it's interesting, your comment on the book and, it, and what, it, what you can do with it personally, because one thing we're seeing is that, Many people are buying the book to get back into this reinvigorated world of ideas for themselves, and hopefully it will be shared, but many people are looking at this as a way to back up and sort of start again. And the Emily Dickinson poetry, and and what I'm hearing from parents and teachers and a lot of people, a, a number of teachers are combining her poem, I Dwell in Possibility, with Plato's Allegory of the Cave. Well, I was just going to talk about the Allegory of the Cave because my daughter, uh, who, who co-hosts this show with me, is at the university, and she's in women's study, and they're studying Allegory of the Cave. Uh. 
And so we've been having this big discussion for a long time. And then I re- I'm reading about it in your book and realizing how important it is to everyone, how, how important the, uh, the images are. And I never thought about talking about it with children. Oh, they and love. And I work with children. The, and this the story was of the cave is just so intriguing to them. And I, I bring in photographs of different caves and have them imagine that they're climbing out of confusion and a cluttered mind into this bright sunlight where ideas become clearer. And it's and where and, at first you're blinded by the light. Yes, yes. Because all of a sudden there's clarity where before there'd been confusion, and they love that notion. And uh, they refer to it, you know, Plato is, is their friend who takes them through all of these different topics because the, the real challenge, Cynthia, is to determine we might use a word like happiness all the time or responsibility, but what does that mean? And to work to understand the essential meaning so that we're clearer about our ideas and what children understand is that the contents of their mind determines what they do and the decisions that they make, that there's a direct link between what's in their minds and how they live their lives. And so they, for that reason, want their minds to be in really good shape. See, and that is going to prepare them not only for an, for an academic career for their uh, high school and college, but this is preparing them for life. It's helping them to think critically, to think outside the box, yes. and as we said at the beginning of our conversation, to have no fear of raising their hand and giving an answer because we're, you're exploring the mind. You're exploring all the different detours that we can take in life. Exactly, and the children, children are very comfortable with mysteries and things that appear not to have answers. One of the first questions I ask the child philosophers is to think of a question in their lives for which they would most like to have an answer, but they don't think they ever will have that one answered. And they think, and you can just see the glee on their faces, and then the hands go up, and there there are the, the perennial questions are coming out of seven, eight, nine-year-old mouths. And they think, one child told me, said, you know what I think we should do with mysteries? We should just hug them because it lets the world be so big, and the world keeps getting bigger, but I'm still a part of it. They, and so they feel a part of it. That's the key. Well, Marietta, could we give out a website where people can get more information and get the book? The name of the book is Little Big Minds by Marietta McCarty. It is Sharing Philosophy with Kids. I really endorse this book, and Marietta, if you need an endorsement, I would be delighted to give you one. This needs to be on every teacher's, every parent's bookshelf. Let's open our children's minds. And I get to open my own at the same time. Where, where would you want to send people? Well, um, my website for the book is www.littlebigminds.com. That's pretty easy. It's just the name of the book. Right, all strung together. And it's it, it minds plural. So littlebigminds.com. Again, the name of the book, Little Big Minds by Marietta McCarty. You are a joy. Thank you for writing this book. Thank you for being a guest on our show. And you go, girl. You just keep bringing all these wonderful people, the sages of the ages, as I say, and bring them the wisdom of our times and past times because how are we going to have a bright future? We know it by some of 
for the thoughts of the past. Thank you, Marietta. Cynthia, thank you. Your energy will keep me going for a while. Good. Let's keep the energy going. Little Big Minds. Go to littlebigminds.com. You've been listening to Cynthia Bryan on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Stay with us. A fabulous segment coming right up. On the silver screen, singing lovely songs of love. Mother and sister, black and white, daddy's a doctor, mom does volunteer work. Well, what's happening behind these closed doors? We're going to find out when we return with the heartbreaking true memoir, Jesus Land, with best-selling author Julia Shears. Back in a moment to Star Style, be the star you are. Stay with us. Looking for answers to those uncommon questions? Looking for a way to heal? Looking for spiritual guidance? Come visit www.angelstoguideyou.com. We are all blessed with spiritual helpers, spiritual gifts, and spiritual healing. Get in touch with your spirit. Get answers. Get healing. www.angelstoguideyou.com. Remember, you're not alone. angelstoguideyou.com. Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. The constant demands of business life can make anyone feel overwhelmed and frustrated occasionally. When you're feeling stuck, try the following. Take a break by doing something spontaneous and fun. Re-energize your brain and your body through meditation, exercise, a massage, or a trip to the beach. Let go. Let someone else help you. Learn to ask for help with brainstorming. Many minds make creative outcomes. Nothing is too wild when you're looking for a solution. Go into action. Once you follow the other steps, get back in the game. Change is another word for learning and growth, and although it is sometimes painful, it's usually a step in the right direction. You can transform the confusion. Remember, you're the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business bite from Star Style. For more information, visit star-style.com. You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. with us right here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. I'm Cynthia Bryan, your personal growth coach, bringing you the authors and the experts that make a difference in your life. This program is funded through the kind donations of the charity, to the charity, Be the Star You Are, which empowers women, families, and youth. So please keep us on the air and make a contribution today. Go to bethestaryouare.org or call toll-free 877-944-STAR. Thanks for helping the kids. Well, sinners go to hell, where the righteous go to heaven, the end is near, repent. This here is Jesus' land. And so begins the saga of her brother and sister, Julia and David, when they pass this sign while riding their bikes in their new hometown through the heartlands. You'd think with all the promises of being saved by Jesus that children would be protected. Well, author of this devastatingly sad yet true memoir, Jesus Land, Julia Shears is here with us to share the rest of the story. Welcome, Julia, to Be the Star You Are. 
Hi, Cynthia. Thanks for inviting me on the program. Oh, I have to shift gears here. I, your book was just phenomenal. It, the reviews of your book, it's everything that everyone has said. It's a total page-turner. It's heart-stopping. It's heartwarming. It's heartbreaking. But it, it made me incredibly angry that in still in this day and time and in the 80s and now, people in the United States are still so filled with prejudice and so much anger and so much hatred, and there's still so much abuse of children going on. Um, I want to talk about your book, Jesus Land, and your dedication to your brother, David. What a wonderful relationship the two of you shared. Thank you. You know, I really did. I wrote this book as a tribute to my brother. This was something that he was working on, and here's a spoiler, um, when he died. He was writing about growing up black in a white family in rural Indiana, and under a Christian fundamentalist household, and then being sent to a so-called Christian reform school in the Dominican Republic when we were teenagers. I was sent down there with him. So you, the two of you, when you were, um, the two of you were, what, three months apart, so you're the same age. Right. And, of course, he's black, you're white, you were part of the family. Your family also adopted another uh, black uh, boy that you, I don't know if that's his real name, but you name him Jerome in this book, and of course you have changed names to to protect some of the people in here, but I'm not going to say protect the innocent because most of them are as guilty as hell. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was just, that was just what was so terrible. But David, to me, he was just so incredibly sweet, and, and he wanted so much yeah. to belong to family. He yeah. just, he thought, uh, you know, how he wanted to be part of the Brady band, brunch. <laughs> and unfortunately, here's your father who is a surgeon, a doctor, he's healing people, and your mother who is doing this volunteer work and caring about the community, community and wants to be a missionary, and yet they abused you children so terribly and nobody knew. Well, that's one of the uh, themes of the book is what happens when you put dogma or your religion before your relationship with people, including your family. I don't, I don't see how this can be godlike. And right. in the last few weeks, Julia, we've been doing a lot of interviews um, that have to do with fundamentalism and evangelicalism and different, not just, you know, all different religions, doesn't matter what. And it seems that whenever you get to any extreme, it is totally bad, and somehow the individual is lost and everyone around it is lost in this pursuit of going to heaven or the afterlife. Right. And it's so wrong. I think extremism of any kind is bad, be it Christian extremism, Islamic Christ, uh, extremism. It's, extremism equals intolerance. That's exactly it. It's totally radical, and it's, it totally people suffer. So you were sent to this Escuela Carib, that's right. the Dominican Republic, when you were both 16. And actually, you chose to go there as opposed to being sent back home because your father used to beat the boys Terribly. Right. And you thought that you were you were immune because you were a girl, you were his child, his flesh and blood. But once the boys were both out of the house, you became a victim as well. Right. My my father just had this, you know, big sense of rage and that was how he dealt with problems in his children. He's he struck out. It, and that's another thing with uh, fundamentalism. It is there is no compassion. It's black and white. It's you do as I say, and there's no room for nuance or to really, you know, 
for introspection to see what's really going on here. Why are these kids acting the way that they do? Well, and this older brother, Jerome, mm-hmm. who was adopted, he had been sexually abusing you since the time you were a little girl, and either your parents didn't want to know or they turned the other cheek, or as, they, as your mom was constantly saying, turn the other cheek. But here you were molested over and over again, and no one did anything about it. And I didn't have the guts to say anything, and that is another part of the book is a sense of, you know, being the white biological daughter who sleeps upstairs while her two adopted black brothers in the basement, in the basement, chair room in the basement, and that sense of guilt of having special treatment and not wanting to have to hear my brothers screaming. You know, I used, my dad would beat them and I'd hear them screaming through the radiators. Well, and you also said that when you'd see them when they were playing ping pong or something, they'd take their, or playing basketball and their shirts would be off and they had just, you know, these lashes on their back, the scars from the whip and they had scars from their beatings and, you know, and your dad even broke David's arm. Yes. Which was just amazing, you know, just so horrible. Now, what, I don't know, is Jerome still alive? Is he still in jail? What happened? Um, I have had no relationship with him for the past, I don't know, 15 years or 20 possibly. But I check on the Tippecanoe County Courthouse website every once in a while to see what his latest criminal endeavor has been. And his life has not gone well. Um, he was on work release last time I checked for failing to pay child support. And what about these evangelical parents of yours who were so God-fearing at church and so absolutely hell-bent with their own children at home? What has happened with them? I'm sure you've had no contact with them either. No, I, we basically broke things off. But, you know, it's it's funny. My mother, when we were growing up, would always say, you know, I can't wait till all you children are out of my house and then well, she God will be my... Well, she the house with Clorox, didn't and, she? She scrubbed you away. Right. Well, so then she would say, you know, God will be my only family. Why she had six kids to begin with, I don't know. Yeah. But she got her wish. Um, today my parents are full-time volunteers at a missionary training compound in Orlando, Florida. But see, that's what frightens me because this Escuela Carib mm-hmm. was juvenile delinquents who grew up to be adults that opened a camp and then they tormented children who were sent there. So here parents are paying 3000 4000 $5,000, $6,000 right. a month and basically you are treated as zeros and you it, the hum, the the things that you had to endure there i was wondering if people if kids ever died i thought boy zero was going to die from some of his treatment well <laughs> the thing is that the beauty of a camp is that you know you're on an island in the middle of the ocean so you're not going to get knocked up <laughs> you're not going to get killed. You're not well, going to get hooked on for, drugs. Except for the one girl who got knocked up by the preacher. Exactly. Except for, you know, the internal enemy of the, the staff, the so-called Christian therapeutic staff. But see, that's what, I, that's what right. your book, your, the book is called Jesus Land. The author is Julia Shears, S-C-H-E-E-R-E-S. But the thing about this camp is it's the staff that you have to most fear. Right. They, it sounds like the kids that were there were just pretty much unwanted by their families and it was easy to kick them out and say, go away. And then you're constantly being told to repent your sins. You don't even know what sins you made. Right. Well, you know, it was a range of kids who got sent down there. Some of them really did need help. They had problems with drugs. And others simply didn't get along with their parents. They didn't want to, you know, they, they didn't get along. Their parents were very strict. They got caught listening to rock and roll music, God forbid, and were sent down there. 
The great thing that happened at this camp was that David and I finally had a common oppressor in the school administration, and we became very close. And I thought, and also you just watch each other's backs there. Yeah. Your, your dream of getting to Florida and being together, of course, was taken away when he was killed in an automobile accident. Right. And my heart broke when I read that because oh. well, my dedication to my book is to my brother Dave. I have a brother. Oh. He was also killed. At, oh, I'm sorry. He was 16, so I, I feel that, that pain for you. Yeah. But tell me, tell me now... How are you doing? I mean, all these years, you went through so much trauma, so much abuse from not only your parents but your older brother to kids on the school ground, mm-hmm. uh, and you survived it. And now you're living in San Francisco. I'm, I'm in San Francisco Bay Area. Oh. I hope that our city is a little more tolerant and you're having a better life. What's, what's happening right. with you now? Well, that's why I moved here. Um, and I, I got to say at heart, the book really is about my relationship with David and how we basically kept each other sane in this very insane environment. Well, you were, as you said, I think you were each other's sanctuary of sanity. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's a sibling love story. Yeah, it yeah. totally is. It's a totally, it's a total love story. Yeah. And you both, it's, and I love your vulnerability in it, how you talked about when you got to high school, how you, you would, you'd get off the bus ahead of him so you wouldn't have to walk with him because everyone was snickering. He's black. You're the sister. You hated being the sister of the black. You got to that point. But you always loved him. And then when you got to that Escuela Carib, boy, you were just one again. Yeah, we were tight again. But I did go through that very shameful period in my life where I got tired of being known as the black boy's sister and being harassed at school. We would be physically and verbally harassed, and I there was a period of time there where I actually turned my back on him. Yeah, and for that, you're, you're sorry sorry now, but you know what? He forgave you a long time ago. When, when he grabbed your shirt and didn't let you careen over that, um, the cliff. that, that yeah. cliff when you were thinking of just jumping off because you were, you know, so, so horrified by what was happening yeah. in the lives. So what advice, uh, Julia, would you have, if you have any, for people who may be listening now, either kids who may be going through it or parents who are acting this whole radical way? Is there any kind of message that you want to give? Your book is filled with messages, by the way, but just if you wanted to, to give something now about how to be more tolerant. Well, I think for for kids who find themselves in a position, um, you know, they, where they feel like they are misfits or, you know, being victimized in some way. I think the most important thing you can do as an adolescent is to respect your body and make other people respect it. Don't let anybody abuse you physically, emotionally, sexually. Stand up for yourself. Find somebody who you can confide in and tell them what's going on in your life. I really wish I would have done that. But you really didn't have anyone except for David, and David was totally shocked when he right. that, that dumb, dumb therapist told him yeah. what was happening to you. <laughs> yeah, but I think, you know, I, you know, didn't have the sense that it's okay to, like, my, my body is a sanctuary and I need to protect it, and I wish I would have had that as a teenager. And it was a problem throughout my, when I was a young woman as well, getting myself into various situations where I didn't know it was okay to speak up for myself. Well, you have spoke up now, girlfriend. <laughs> and I tell you, this book is really a, a groundbreaker. 
It's a shaker-upper, and people need to read it. The book is called Jesus Land. The author is Julia Shears. And I really wanted uh, uh, you know, encourage people to go to her website, www.juliashears.com, and she spells that J-U-L-I-A-S-C-H-E-E-R-E-S.com. Well, I thank you so much for having the courage to write this book. I, it must have been so difficult to relive all the pain. But what a tribute and an honor to your brother. Thank you. And are, is this the two of you on the cover? Yes, it is. That's oh, us. <laughs> that is the best picture <laughs> Thank ever. <you. laughs> the best picture. Julia, I wish you every success and keep preaching the words that our bodies, our lives are a sanctuary and that we need to be a, a sanctuary of sanity for one another. Thank you, Julia. All right. Thank you, Cynthia. Yes, the, her book is, Je- is Jesus Land. You've been listening to Cynthia Bryan on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. For more information on the charity Be the Star You Are, go to be the star you are.org. More information about Libby Gill, it's LibbyGill.com. And Cynthia Bryan, go to CynthiaBryan.com. And until next week when we celebrate once again, this is Cynthia Bryan from Star Style thanking you and encouraging you. Be the star you are. See you next week.